So I want to pick up on a verse in one of Jesus' most famous sermons. Uh, his, it's his sermon on the Mount, on the Beatitudes. Um, and I'm going to pick up on just one line. I think pretty much every line in his sermon could be a whole sermon. <laughs> That's definitely true of this line. It's Matthew 5, verse 5, where Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Could you do a whole sermon on that one line? Yes, you could. And that is what I'm going to do right now. Meekness is a very interesting word, which, as I was joking earlier, is not trending on social media right now. Because meekness is often associated with another word which rhymes with meekness, which would be weakness. Nailed it. Weakness. It's often associated with weakness. But I think you'll find, as we explore the topic from Scripture, meekness is one of the attributes of Christ, which probably requires more courage and faith than any other attribute. It requires incredible courage and incredible faith to be meek, as meek as Christ. And when I talk about meekness requiring courage, think of the courage it took Jesus to go to the cross, knowing that at any moment he could call down several legions of angels to rescue him. So it wasn't from a place of weakness. He chose to respond in meekness. And meekness is a choice that we make, not because we are necessarily unable to defend ourselves, that may be the case sometimes, but even when we are able to fight for ourselves, to choose actually to trust God to fight for me, a a deliberate choice of my heart and my mind is what meekness is. And so some words... If you look in an English dictionary, which you probably would because we don't use the word meek very often, here are some of the words or some of the meanings for the word meek. It's to endure injury with patience and without resentment. Endure injury. It, it means to be gentle. It means to be submissive or compliant. It means to be kind in the face of bad treatment. Um, I think of Jesus saying to praying, God, do not hold their sins against them while they were crucifying him on the cross, would be meekness for sure. And so meekness is a word we often use in reference to a person being badly treated by other wicked people and responding meekly. So there's lots of different kinds of suffering we can experience on this earth. Meekness is called on, we we are called to meekness when we are being treated badly by a person. Does that make sense? Um, It's when you are being unjustly treated. You are not only being badly treated because you deserve it, you're being badly treated even though you don't deserve it. And now you are choosing to respond meekly as Christ would in that circumstance. So it's uniquely the circumstance relating to unjust treatment. So injustice. 
So just to call to your mind some very everyday experiences which you may have had or may are, you may currently be experiencing. And this is the kind of circumstances that God is speaking into this morning. For example, if in your workplace your boss is treating you terribly. That's what we're speaking about this morning. If in business, your business partner betrays you, betrays your trust and treats you badly, unfairly, that is what we're speaking about this morning. If your landlord doubles your rent unexpectedly, like he did when I was living, like she did when I was, I've forgiven, there's no resentment left there. If there was any bitterness, I now live in Milnerton because I, uh, anyway, let me not get too far down these stories because these are the kinds of things we experience. Literally doubled my rent. Uh, but we, we won't, I promise you we won't. I won't mention it again. You can hold me accountable to that. Eh? Or maybe it's legal. Maybe somebody is abusing our legal system to take advantage of you. Legal systems can be abused like that. Or maybe it is spiritual. Do you know that you can experience injustice even in church? If you don't believe me, go and read the story about David and Saul. David was obediently serving Saul, um, and he was incredibly badly treated by Saul, and yet David responded meekly. He responded with humility. He didn't get revenge on Saul. He actually chose to trust God for his justice. Maybe it's a friend that's treating you badly or unfairly. And lastly, I'll mention probably the most shocking one of all, is maybe you feel God is unjustly treating you. If you don't think it's possible, then you haven't obviously been saved for a very long time and you haven't read the story about John the Baptist, who was Jesus' right-hand man, came to prepare the way of the Lord and was put in prison and eventually beheaded for doing what he was supposed to do and introducing Jesus. And he had a moment of doubt where he sent a messenger to Jesus to, to say, are you actually the Messiah, or should we expect somebody else? And Jesus' reply was very interesting. He said a lot of things about John, and then he went on to say, Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, blessed is the man who doesn't get offended by me. Jesus can offend you, because you can feel like he's maybe not keeping his end of the bargain. And so these are the kinds of situations that the Bible speaks directly into with regard to being treated badly and unjustly. And so whenever we speak about these kinds of sufferings, the Bible would use, use the word meek. So uh, one of the things that's very curious about God, when you bring your situation to God and say, God, I'm suffering in this situation, I'm being treated badly, please would you help me, please would you make a way, please would you deliver me, God has a tendency to act in a way which is unfortunate. And I say that tongue-in-cheek because he is God, so he gets to choose. But from my perspective, it's unfortunate. He has a tendency to reflect a mirror. He puts a mirror in front of you and reflects your own heart back to you and says, you're not responding the way Christ would. He's got this tendency to bring the focus back to your heart when you are the one that's being badly treated 
which seems unfair. If you don't believe me, let's take an example from Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Uh, Someone in the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, just to give you context, it sounds like in that context, the older brother was supposed to get a double portion of the inheritance. Their father died, and the younger brothers would get whatever was left. This older brother decided not only to take a double portion, but the whole portion, it sounds like. (laughs) And so this man was obviously being unjustly treated, and he was coming to Jesus, hoping that Jesus could use his influence as Jesus to convince his brother to do right by him. And this is what Jesus says in reply. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have too too much money to even know what to do with it, essentially, because he couldn't fit his money, his riches, in one barn. Then he came up with a solution. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Here's the money line right at the end. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Did you see what Jesus did there? Like, talk about missing the point. Like, this man is saying, this guy is treating me badly, Jesus. Help me out here. And Jesus turns this whole thing around and makes it about the greed in the man's heart for wanting what actually belongs to him. And he's saying, I'm more concerned about being rich towards God than being rich in this life. And so Jesus has got this tendency to flip the the script and make it about what's in my heart, even when I'm suffering. Um, And we'll talk a little bit more just now why that is. But just to make the point even clearer, in 1 Peter 2, he addresses the situation. And the phrase unjust suffering is actually explicitly mentioned here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because he is conscious of God. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And so Jesus' example to us when he experienced unjust suffering was to trust God to vindicate him to not fight for himself, to not fight for his justice, but to trust justice to God. And he was vindicated. We know he was vindicated when God raised Jesus from the dead. 
God vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead. And not only raising him from the dead, but seating him at his right hand, it says, far above all authority, all power. And so Jesus' trust in God was well-placed. And he got uh, what he deserved from God, but he didn't fight for it for himself. And it's saying here in this verse, if your boss is treating you unjustly, respond like Christ. Respond like Christ. Which is, it requires incredible courage and incredible faith. It is definitely not an instinctive response for any human being. And so, um, to maybe dive into a few reasons, why does God love this kind of meekness so much? Why does he require it from us? Why does he ask this from us? I think one of the reasons is that we tend to find it very easy to see other people's sin. But we find it much harder to see our own sin. You don't have to train a child to recognize other people's sin. That is for 100% certain. But we are exactly the same. This man that was seeking justice for himself in the story did not see the greed in his own heart. It was hiding itself. And so God often turns the focus back on our own hearts because as much as it's easy to see that this person is wicked, God wants us to know, but you are also a sinner, right? And so you can't do anything to change that person's sin but you can submit your own heart to God and ask him to change my heart. I want to be sanctified. I want to be made into the image of Christ. But if my focus is constantly on the sin of other people, God will never be able to change me. Amen? So God has this tendency to flip the focus back into taking responsibility for what my own heart is like. And so, if we're honest, most of our prayers go on about God changing other people, right? (laughs) Maybe it's just if you're married. (laughs) Marriage is a great, like if you sit with two people that are fighting, they are both adamant that the other person is the sinner. Like every single time. Because that's just what we like, you know. We tend to, do not pray so much about God. I know I'm a sinner. I'm such a wretched person. Please, would you change me? Our prayers don't tend to circle around those things, but that's not because it's not true. We tend to think that if the world was made up of people who were just like me, it would be such an amazing place to live. Don't we? Or is it? And so the Bible says that God allows us to experience suffering even from other wicked people Because suffering develops character. As we choose again and again to extend mercy, to forgive, to love instead of hate, to respond in kindness instead of with revenge, it actually produces holiness in me, which is the holiness that God considers true riches. The other thing the Bible says is that suffering shows us what is actually really in our heart. Suffering has a tendency to bring the yuckiness in my heart to the surface and allow me to see it so that God can deal with it. It's one of the things God knows and God uses. The other thing that meekness teaches us, the reason why meekness is so hard is because we tend to think of the here and now. We don't tend to think of our life in the light of eternity. 
So the li- a life of faith is a life which is lived in the light of eternity, not for reward here and now. And so um, we tend to choose, like if you have to choose between comfort and wealth and sin or holiness and poverty, which one are you going to choose? We would be okay with comfort and wealth with a bit of sin. But God would actually prefer, I know this is shocking, but God would actually prefer us to be holy and poor. <laughs> that is true. If, if, if being rich or poor is going to be a stumbling block for us, he'd rather have us poor and holy. He'd rather have us badly treated and holy. He'd rather have us actually living to a certain degree in suffering and holy than to be in comfort and in sin. Our, our scheme of measuring things doesn't tend to that. Do you understand what I mean? So that's why God has to keep nudging us towards that. Um, and so this only makes sense. The life of Christ even only made sense in the light of eternity. If you look at Jesus' ministry on earth, it only made sense in the light of eternity. The other thing that's really important in terms of understanding this life in the light of eternity is Jesus came to bring salvation. He didn't come to bring justice. Let me say that again. He came to bring salvation. He didn't come to bring justice. Justice. He said, I didn't come to judge the world, I came to save the world. Which means that oftentimes our justice is deferred, it's pushed out, we have to wait a bit longer. Why? Because he's busy saving people. Which is why when our enemies badly treat us, God says, this is how I want you to pray. Bless them. Bless my enemies, Lord. Save my enemies, Lord. Show them that you are the way, Lord. Jesus prayed for the salvation of the very people that were killing him. Now think of this. One of the most famous people in the Bible, Paul, was the first man to cause the most terrible persecution and suffering in the church, in the early church. You know that? The biggest enemy of the church, the first and biggest enemy of the church was Paul, formerly known as Saul. I hope that the early church were praying for his salvation. I have my doubts, even though Jesus told them to. The reason why I doubt is because when God sent, I think his name was, I'm going to get his name wrong now. But Paul was struck blind by God and God sent a prophet to go and pray for Paul's healing. And you know what he said? God just, not to be rude or anything, but just as a reminder, this guy is killing the Christians. (laughs) Look, I'm not going to disobey. I I know you, God, but there is a certain amount of risk you're putting me at here in praying for this guy. He is the biggest enemy that we have right now. So that's why I hope that they were praying for the salvation of Paul, because that doesn't tend to make me believe that they actually were. But Paul was saved, and he became the biggest champion of our faith in the history of our faith. Why? Because God wants to save our enemies. And so sometimes he he delays justice for the purpose of salvation. 
And so the reason why I say Jesus came for salvation, not justice, if he came for justice, the first thing he would have done was to overthrow the Romans because they were one of the biggest perpetrators of injustice in the world at that time. But he didn't. Instead, he was actually trying to save the Romans. In fact, one of the men who he had admired for his faith was a centurion who was a, a Roman. And we know that the Romans did go on to be saved through the gospel. And so um, he said, I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. And so it's interesting that two of the biggest... So, so the reason why we can be at peace with not experiencing justice is not because we are never going to get justice. We are going to get justice. In fact, every person that sins against us, every wicked person that treats us badly will get 100% justice. So our desire for justice is not a bad thing. Our desire for justice actually comes from God himself, who is a just God. So we don't defer justice like, oh, you know what, God, it's fine. You don't have to punish them. No, that's not. It's actually faith in eternity. We know that God will bring about justice in the future. But our concern is that justice means hell, right? Two of the biggest objections against the existence of God, number one, why does God, a loving God, allow people to suffer? Right? You heard that one before? Why does a loving God allow people to suffer? The second biggest objection is, how can a loving God send people to hell? Are you seeing a connection here? The one answers the other one. God does delay justice, but justice is hell. The reason why he's delaying justice is because he's a loving God and he wants to give people an opportunity to be saved. He wants to save people. Yes, he's passionate about justice, but he wants to save even those who are wicked, even you and me. If God had brought about perfect justice when he came as Christ on the earth, we would not have had the opportunity to be saved. We would have been judged. And so the very people who are making your life hell, God is delaying justice in their life to give them an opportunity to repent. And that makes justice okay with me. I'm okay with waiting a little bit for justice because if it means their salvation and it's salvation from hell, eternal torment, I honestly believe when we see our enemies burning in hell, we'll have wished we had prayed more for their salvation. You know what I'm saying? There will be justice. Our desire is a godly desire and it will be satisfied. But right now, Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. Does that make sense? I, I, I say this because this has got intense personal relevance for us as people, how we respond when we are badly treated. Are we praying for justice or are we praying for their salvation? Yes, we want justice, but not at the expense of salvation. Amen? I think even the modern church has gotten obsessed with justice, but I feel like it's premature. We do want justice, but first we want salvation. First we want salvation to reach every person that we can possibly extend it to through the gospel. The Bible also says that the meek will, will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. So here's the thing. As Christians, when we suffer, we mustn't feel sorry for ourselves. Can I tell you why? If you, if you had the winning lotto ticket in your hand and you were in a very bad financial situation right now, would you feel sorry for yourself? No, <laughs> because you've got the winning lotto ticket right here in your hand. The Bible says you and I are going to inherit 
the entire earth. Jesus said, everything that I have, I share with you. So I don't, feel, I don't need to feel sorry for myself when I'm being badly treated. I just need to feel sorry for the person who is badly treating me. Amen? I'm going to be fine, but they're not. And so I do feel sorry, but not for me. I feel sorry for them. There's no place for a victim complex for Christians who understand their eternity with Christ. Do you know what I'm saying? If you have a victim complex, it's because you don't understand eternity and what lies in store for us. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who love him. We have God on our side. God loves us. God cares about it. God sustains us. He strengthens us. We don't feel sorry for ourselves. Why would we do that? It's that we can share what we have with others, even our enemies. Amen? Does that make sense? And so we don't, as Christians, we are not called to fight for our rights. We are not called to try and defend ourselves and fight for what's mine. That's not meekness. We are called to trust God to fight for us and to trust God that our reward is secure with Christ. No one can steal my reward. No one can steal what's coming to me because it's coming from Christ himself. And the Bible says when he returns, he will bring his reward, my reward, with him. And no evil person can keep that from me. In many instances, we will not experience our inheritance in this life. We'll experience it when Christ returns. He'll bring it with us. And everything which we sacrifice because we belong to Christ in this life, we don't mourn over that because it will be restored to us and more when Christ returns. Does that make sense? So I want to just close by saying, how does Jesus want you to respond now if you are being badly treated? If you are being badly treated, if you are not being badly treated by someone right now, please come and speak to me afterwards because you're probably the first person that I've met. So this does apply to most of us. Firstly, God wants you to trust Him even when the situation doesn't make sense. Trust Him even when the situation doesn't make sense. Jesus said, all things work together for the good of those who love Him. Right now, that probably doesn't seem reasonable, but it's true. All things work together for the good of those who love Him. Pray for those who are treating you badly. Don't respond with, if it's verbal abuse, don't respond with verbal abuse. If it's manipulation, not, don't respond with manipulation. Don't respond in kind. So Jesus would say, if someone slaps you, don't slap them back. You turn the other cheek. Why? Because I trust in God to vindicate me, to protect me, to bring, my, to bring me my justice. The Bible says, continue to do good to those. Not only to pray for them, but to continue to act like a Christian, to act Christ-like, to do good even to those who are not treating me well. The Bible says, forgive those who sin against you. If there is somebody that is sinning against you right now, Jesus would want you to forgive. Do not harbor resentment and anger in your heart, but to forgive and lastly, 
and we're going to go, we're going to break bread now together in response to this. But God wants you to extend the mercy to others which you yourself have received. (coughs) You've received mercy. Not only have you received mercy, today you receive mercy. Jesus said when I pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive me for my sins today as I forgive those who forgive others. But God wants us to be merciful even as our Father has been merciful towards us. The Bible says you will, be, you will be judged according to the measure that you judge others. If you are merciful to others, God will be merciful to you. If you are not merciful to others, God won't extend mercy to you. And so we don't, we do, we don't want from God to give us justice, right? I don't want God to give me justice. He treats me according to what my actions deserve. I'm a, I'm a goner. But I also don't want God to treat my enemies according to that standard. Amen? And so let's just close eyes right now. We're going to break bread together because it's a great reminder of the mercy which we have received. And we haven't done it for a really long time, so I'm keen to do that. But maybe before we do that, I know that this word is a difficult word. It's not my word, but it's a difficult word. It's, it's meekness requires faith, and it requires courage. And I pray, Lord Jesus, right now, for those who we need to forgive, for those who we need to bless, for those who we need to actually stop trying to change them, but rather to actually focus on responding as Christ would. Would you help us, Jesus? Would you give us grace, even right now? I'd encourage you, if there are circumstances that spring to your mind, just bring that situation or that person to God right now. You can ask God for his help. You can trust God to take care of you, to provide for you, to be everything that you need, even if that person isn't a godly person or a good person. And I want to just encourage you right now, if you need to forgive someone and you actually maybe haven't been responding as Christ would, I want to really encourage you right now, just in the quietness of your heart, forgive. Forgiveness is a choice. I choose to forgive, not because I don't think what they did was bad. I don't downplay the situation. God didn't downplay my sin when he forgave me. It was a choice. I choose to release them of the debt of sin against me. So I would really encourage you to do that right now if you need to do that. Secondly, I want to just point out that if you have not been responding in meekness, Maybe you actually have been getting nasty. Maybe you actually have been fighting back and giving in return for what you've received and God is convicting you right now that I actually, that doesn't please me. That's not how Christ responded when he was badly treated. I want to encourage you to just repent before the Lord right now. Just say, God, I'm sorry. Sorry for actually being as evil as the person 
who has badly treated me instead of responding in faith. Just repent right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord.